Well, today we're going to begin and kick off a new message series. Pastor Brian will be back next week, but today we are going to uh, begin a series in Colossians called Enough. And as somebody alerted to me earlier today, don't read this as enough messages from Colossians. Because we're just getting started. This is week one. This is enough. What we mean by that is Jesus is enough. There's a lot of things we can look to in our lives, but Jesus is sufficient. So this is a, this is a series about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our Savior, from the book of Colossians. I think it's common that a lot of times we go searching for things. Especially in our culture, people are searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose. They're looking for something or someone to deliver them, save them, give them purpose. And we're going to look in this series that the answers to all those questions are are found in Jesus. Jesus truly is enough. We're going to learn some incredible truths about Jesus Christ from the book of Colossians. I think we all need encouragement in our faith and in our direction of following Jesus. And the Apostle Paul was going to give that to the church in Colossae, and we're going to be the beneficiary of that as well. So this is actually a letter that Paul writes to a church in Colossae, and he's encouraging them in their faith and encouraging them to keep finding their sufficiency in Christ. In our culture, just like in their culture, some similar things happening. Competing views, competing worldviews, religious beliefs, all these things kind of swirling around competing for allegiance. And it was no different back then. During that time, a little bit of the context, there's, there's different there's different understandings of reality and, and belief systems. And in that context, there was a group of people that kind of claimed they had this special knowledge that was for a select few. And then infused in that was others that were talking about Jewish rules and regulations. And these things kind of get put together and syncretized in a way. And in our culture, it's, it's often not much different. Sometimes people treat spirituality like it's, uh, like it's a buffet. So I'm going to go over here, I'm going to, or this is how I was raised, so this is kind of my framework, but then I'm going to drop this and add this, and I like this from over here, so I'm going to add this into my understanding. And this one's really tough, but I'm going to go ahead and adopt this. And we kind of put together our personal, spiritual understanding. But what Paul is saying is saying, don't do that. Go to Jesus. Jesus is truly enough. So the message is the same for us this morning. Paul's going to pray some incredible prayers for these believers, prayers that flow from this reality that their new identity is in Jesus. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses. You can stand, or uh, if that's a problem, this is a little bit of a longer passage. You can remain seating as well. But join me if you're able to stand. We're going to read this passage. If you've got a church Bible, that's page 987. Colossians 1, first 14 verses. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This good news that came to you is going out all over the world, 
It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Please take a seat this morning. So why does Paul believe in this mighty power of the gospel and why is he praying these prayers for the believers in Colossae? I think Paul can pray this way and he can pray these faith-filled prayers because he's convinced of one overarching truth over, all, over this whole situation here. This is, the, this is the big truth. As Christ followers, as people that are in Christ, they've been rescued. They've been rescued. We're going to look at the key verse in this text, which is at the end, and then we'll come back um, to the beginning of the text. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So as a summary, God, at the end of the day, He is a gracious and loving Father. So much so that He has put a plan in place to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus is the whole key to this because Jesus purchased our freedom. He paid the penalty for our sins and we have forgiveness through Him. Jesus actually said something very similar in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Look at this passage, this text, 5.24. John 5.24. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but have already passed from death to life. This is good news, if you ask me. Will never be condemned for their sins. Passed from death to life. Jesus is the key. He's purchased our freedom. But this, this isn't necessarily a popular notion. Today, this idea of being in Christ or not in Christ, or being under death or in life, but we know that God desires for all people to come to faith in Christ. His Spirit is constantly working, drawing people, wooing people to Jesus to receive this free gift of salvation. God's desire is for all to be saved. We need a rescue. But there's definitely some times when we realize that we need to be rescued more than others. Think about your life. You can remember all these different times where somebody helped you or literally somebody rescued you or you saw somebody being rescued. So that's the first kind of rescue. It's when we actually realize that we need to be rescued and we're looking, we're reaching, we're searching for someone to rescue us. One of the... uh, Memories that comes to my mind is when I was 18, I was playing basketball in this 
Bible college basketball team. And it was before the season started. So our coach, he was all about conditioning. I mean, we ran so much. I don't especially like running like that. But we ran in all sorts of different ways. And he had this idea that he was going to enlist, you know, tell us as a team, hey, you're doing this ultimate fitness challenge. It's a 24-hour fitness challenge. So we were like, okay, what's this all about? So what it means is for 24 hours, we did all sorts of different fitness testing and physical activity, you know, fitness, sports, every kind of activity you can think of for 24 hours. So we ran a 10K, and we had a little break. The longest break we had was about 30 minutes during this 24-hour period. But we ran this big race, then we were running hills with weights on our back, then we were doing something a little bit uh, easier like soccer. No offense to soccer players, but we were playing soccer for a little bit. Then uh, we were doing push-ups. So it went on and on and on. And I knew I was in trouble when we walked to the pool. So we got to the pool. And just so you know, I don't claim to be a stellar swimmer. And most water that I'm familiar with was in the form of snow where I grew up. So I was not a good swimmer. But we got to this pool. And he said, okay, everybody, here's your sweatshirt. So he hands me this big, you know, baggy, oversized, heavy blue sweatshirt. Excuse me. We all put this on. And I can see the writing on the wall. I am going down fast. So everybody starts taking their turn. We're doing like a relay. So eventually it's my turn. I jump in. Somehow I manage to make it all the way there. I've got to come back to. But my problem with swimming is I've always had a problem with once your, your, your face is under the water, you've got to come up for air. I always get thrown off in there. As soon as I go under the water, the water goes up into my nose. I've always had to use like a, no, a, a nose plug. I just can't swim well, never mind having this sweater. So I got flustered by that, and I ended up basically doggy paddling because my, my balance is all off. So on the way back, I've got like half the length to go, and I am not going to make it, and I need to be rescued. I can even hear somebody on the edge of the pool saying, he's not going to make it. And that wasn't encouraging in the midst of that, but <laughs> 15, about 15 feet from the end, I just start sinking, and somebody jumped in, another person reached, and two people grabbed me out. And I was literally rescued. And there was no illusion about it. I needed to be rescued. And I was. Now there's other times where we're not even aware that we need to be rescued. We don't even know it. We're perishing and we don't even know it. We're going under the water and we don't realize it. I'm not sure the majority of humankind thinks of themselves of having a standing or an existence in the kingdom of darkness. Other translations say, the domain of darkness. So sometimes people don't even realize that they need to be rescued. And that's the other scenario. They need to be rescued, but they don't know, they don't know that. Think about how sometimes sin works. Whether you're, whether you're following Jesus or, or not or considering it, the way sin works is you think you can manage it, and then it kind of takes you a little bit more down the process to the point where you are out of control and you need to be rescued. And by that time, you might not even realize it. Think about substance abuse. Sometimes with substance abuse, it starts off as, I can control this, and then it gets slowly to the point where family and friends are are running interventions to try to rescue the person from the grips of that. Or maybe it's more subtle. Maybe this is more relatable. Maybe if, think about when maybe when you launched your career, you're thinking about launching your career and you're thinking, I want to be wise. I want to be a wise steward with my money. So you're learning about finances and money and then you're thinking about your career 
and you kind of go all in on that. So it's about money, and it's about the corporate ladder, and, and those are your priorities. And without realizing it, you start to cheat every other area of your life until the point where you have this huge, massive regret because all that is gone and all you have is all these goals. So you, without realizing it, you need to be rescued from making that your main focus in life. That's how it happens as well. But any way you look at it, we need to be rescued and sometimes we just flat out have the blinders on. We know from Romans 1 that everybody innately knows that God exists, but Satan blinds people from their, from seeing their need for God. There's a few ways that we can see in the scriptures that this happens. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it calls Satan the God of this world who has blinded people's minds. So he's actually blinding them. They can hear the message, but it's not registering yet. Now we believe the Spirit is constantly drawing people to Himself, so it could be that they're just a few steps away and they're being blinded, but we're praying and people are praying for them and we're trusting God's going to keep wooing them to Himself. Also in 2 Corinthians, Satan is, is um, compared to an angel of light. So we, we or other people, we can actually be going in a certain direction thinking this is it. And it's not. It's the exact wrong direction because we've been fooled. Angel uh, Satan appears as an angel of light. Then in Matthew, we see that people can receive the good news, it's in their heart, and then the evil one can snatch it away. As they're considering it, he can come in and snatch it away out of their heart. In Genesis, we see Satan misrepresenting the truth. He says, you shall surely not die. Not true. Sin did bring death. So people believe lies. And then here's a big one, I think. This is, this is a really, really big one in our culture. We just end up doing what seems right to us. You know, whether that means follow your heart or whatever, or whatever it is, we just kind of go in the direction that we think is right. But Proverbs says, a way that seems right to us, there's a way that seems right to us, but it ends in death. So Satan basically tries to get us to trust in anything but the good news. It's something that seems right to us, whether that's trusting in ourselves, in religion, or some other kind of system, or in good works. And we are confused and we're blinded. So there's a variety of reasons that we don't see our need to be rescued. But this was not the case for the church in Colossae. These people are in Christ, and Paul knows they've been rescued. And he's saying, look, your identity's in Jesus, and here's some incredible things that you can expect as we pray for you. Paul communicates his great thankfulness as he prays for his friends. He says this in verse 3 and following, he always prays and gives thanks for these believers. In other words, they have a good reputation as Christ followers. He's thankful for them, and he's praying for them. Verse 4 and 5, he says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So having been rescued, having put their faith in Christ, they have this confident hope and expectation. They have this real experience. Verse 6 says, This good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Bearing fruit everywhere, changing lives everywhere. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Point one, the good news changes lives. The good news bears fruit everywhere by changing lives. When you've been rescued by God, 
You've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You've given the Holy Spirit who leads you and dwells you. And Jesus is on the throne of your life. Your life is changed. He becomes not only your Savior, but the leader of your life. And verse 6 says this good news is going out all over the world. I think this has really kind of changed the way we think about missions and the landscape of missions. Our own family of churches has this graphic that's kind of helpful to look at. This is MB Mission. It says, from everywhere to everywhere. And you've got all these arrows going from this continent to that continent. And maybe in the, before we think about, okay, the West, Christian nations or Christian beliefs in the West going out everywhere else. Well, now it's, it's everywhere to everywhere. Wherever the gospel takes root and changes lives, those people feel empowered for mission and they go somewhere else. You have this happening all over the place. This is why you have South Korean Christians planting churches on the west coast of Canada. This is why you have uh, Africans coming to the United States and planting churches. It's from everywhere to everywhere. Even our own family of churches, the, M- the Mennonite Brethren Church, there's more people in our family of churches in India and the Congo than there is in Canada and the United States. I think it's great. From everywhere to everywhere, the gospel is changing lives everywhere it goes. As the, as the gospel changes our lives, the Spirit gives us these new desires, the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the most apparent ways this happens is through a desire to express love. Look at verse 8. He says in verse 8 that Epaphras, the person who shared the gospel with the Colossian church, has told him about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. A love for others. That's where your love for people comes from. It comes from the Spirit working in you and through you. Think about the team of people we had on Friday, thanks to you that served at the carnival at Copper Hills Elementary. You're able to get out into our community and just love people. What a great witness it is to get outside the four walls of the church and engage our community where they are. So thank you to those of you that served in that way. When you have a genuine love for others, you become more mission-focused and your identity flows from from who you are in Christ and you can't help but have that spill over into wanting to love people. It's interesting, I think that as Christ followers, like anyone else, we're, out, we're sometimes kind of uh, subject to finding our identity too much in the wrong spot. So it's, it's a great thing to have interests and hobbies, but don't find your primary identity in those things. These are great things, but... Find your identity in Jesus and let Him transform and redeem all of your areas of interest and hobbies that you pour yourself into. Do it in a missional way. I think of our Thursday night drop-in sports. John Gossett does a great job leading drop-in sports on Thursday night. But you know what he'll tell you? It's not really about the sports or basketball, which is what they play most of the time. It's not really about the basketball. It's about having this be a place where people can connect, people come to drop in sports that wouldn't necessarily normally come to church on Sunday morning or feel comfortable entering the doors of the church. But yet John and his team are there, and through basketball, they're expressing Christ's love to these people. Now when something, when these people um, are drawn closer to Christ or considering things, who will they reach out to? They'll reach out to John and the people serving in that ministry. Same thing at serving in the community. If people aren't, if ch- church isn't part of their life, but they meet people from a church who are expressing God's love, when something happens, when they have a hurt or a hang up or, a, or an issue, guess who they think about? They think about the people that they met from 
over here at Bethany Church or, or wherever it is. So by getting in the community and expressing God's love, we're joining God where He's already working to draw people to Himself. So when you've been rescued by God, you've experienced this great love and mercy, and you can't help but extend that love towards others. Think about it this way. The only people that can't be saved, because God's trying to, his, his desire is that people would come to faith. The only people that can't be saved are the ones who insist on earning it. And the only ones who can't love their neighbor are the ones who, who are still earning something from God. I think we've got to get this right. So we don't, good works don't flow out of our desire to appease or earn something. Everything we have is in Christ. It's already been accomplished. The way that we live our lives is the natural overflow of this great thankfulness that we have for what Jesus has done. We're not earning something from God in doing that. I grew up in a house that seemed full to me. Uh, I had my mom and dad. I had three other siblings. There were two, two boys, two girls, six of us all together. Lived in this house. I've got great, great memories of, of my family. And um, I think my parents did a good job in a lot of ways modeling loving other people. I can think of three separate occasions where my parents opened our home to friends of either myself or my siblings who were going through a difficult time. I think every instance, this was in that late teens, kind of like in that 18 to 20 category. Three different times with the permission of that, of that person's um, parent or guardian if they were, if they were not 18 yet. But if they were, they, they just brought them in. And they said, hey, here's a change of scenery. Here's our house. You're already friends with our kids. This is how things happen here. We're here to support you. These are the rules. And this is a fresh start for you for this time. And then we'll kind of reevaluate. So on three occasions, we had friends come in and they had kind of had a reset. In a sense, they were rescued from the way they were going. Something as simple as living in this family for three months was a good thing for them. Um, some of you might be thinking, hey, I can't do that. I can't bring people into my home. Well, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. But what can you do? What is the Spirit doing in you to express love towards others? I think that left a lasting impact on me to see that, that love for others that my parents modeled in those situations. They showed love. And it wasn't them. It was the Holy Spirit spilling over out of their lives. So God's drawing people to Himself and He wants to use us in the process. I also think about connection groups. Where else can you get together with a group of people? Let's be honest. Most of the time, the group isn't exactly people that are all like you. Sometimes it's great. It's like you and all your closest friends and great, it's a great time. But you know what? Sometimes the best way to kind of stretch and learn and have God work on you is to have a little bit more diverse group. And I think more normally, that's how it works out. You get a connection group, People aren't all necessarily the same, but they've got different gifts, they've got different ideas, different insights, different backgrounds, and it all comes together and you get this great, diverse experience of God using each of us to bless each other in community. So I love what connection groups can do in that way. It's an opportunity to to love others, to use your gifts. Not everybody's going to have the same gift in a group of people, but if but if you're meeting together for a few months... To, you're going to be able to support each other in ways that you didn't realize just because you have that ongoing community. So we value connection groups as well here at Bethany. Let's go back to the text for a moment here. Looking at verse 9, 
Paul and presumably Timothy, they've not stopped praying for these believers since they heard about them. If you've ever had somebody commit to praying for you or your family, you know how powerful that is. What an example Paul and Timothy are there. In verse 10, this is what it says. The way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So changed lives result in good fruit. This is another point in your outline. Good fruit. Having been rescued, there's a change in us, and that results in something. An overflow of living the way that Jesus is calling us to. To produce every good fruit. We can be salt and light in our community, among our neighbors, our friends. Our lives stand out, and people take note, and they take interest. And that creates opportunities for the gospel to be shared. There's a saying I've heard many times it has been attributed to a lot of different people, but I heard it over and over and over again from this one seminary professor I had who taught a lot of courses on engaging culture with, with the good news. And he said this, he said, Faith in Jesus Christ is personal, but it's never private. Faith in Jesus is personal, but it's never private. It's personal because we have to individually respond to what God is saying to us. But it's not private because once you've experienced the gospel, the natural outflow of that is that you're living that out and that's public. That's not private. So I think we have to be careful sometimes that we don't, as Christ followers, don't live kind of a functional atheism. Let's not be Christian atheists. What I mean by that is, you know, in name, but then in life, something else. So, we're not functional atheists. We're, we're empowered by God's Spirit to let our lives spill out for the sake of others. So we walk in obedience. Our lives produce good fruit. We grow in our knowledge of God and our personal relationship with Him. We experience spiritual growth. This is the next point. Changed lives result in spiritual growth. <clears throat> Verse 10 says, We are to know God better and better. Better and better. Other translations say growing in the knowledge of God. But let me tell you, this isn't simply growing in head knowledge of God. This is growing in a knowledge that affects your heart and affects the way that you live. And that's when growth happens. When you keep in step with the Spirit. That's when you grow. You can go to all the uh, interesting courses and classes you want. There's no spiritual growth apart from what's happening in your heart in walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, in obedience. I think about before I transferred to Fresno Pacific, uh, I had some incredibly intelligent professors. I was studying business, but my interest was in religious studies and, and things like that. So I'd take electives over in this area. And I had some incredible professors that could tell me all about the history of this religion or that religion or this or that. Incredibly smart. But... They would tell me, hey, we're, we're not following Jesus. We don't believe you. We're just teaching you this information. And there's a difference there. So that type of knowledge isn't heart knowledge. That's just information transfer. But what happens when we give our lives to Jesus is we grow in a knowledge that affects our heart and spills out of our lives, our lives and draws people to Jesus. Verse 11 says this, we also pray that you will be strengthened with His glorious power, so you will have the endurance and patience you need. Another point here. Changed lives result in strength, endurance, and patience. 
So head knowledge is just head knowledge. God's glorious power is God's glorious power. When we grow in that type of experiential knowledge, God pours His glorious power into us through strength, endurance, and patience. And I think as we continue to look at this concept of being rescued, rescued from this kingdom to that kingdom, that's a, that's a one and done thing. That's done. You're in Christ. You're saved. But this concept of the things that happen in life that can sometimes be messy this time of eternity, this side of eternity, sometimes God's rescue plan for you is just giving you this glorious power of strength, endurance, and patience in your situation. I think we all have testimonies of being delivered out of situations, and when that happens, that's phenomenal. But sometimes it's it's giving it's it's receiving this glorious power through strength, endurance, and patience to be within that God brings us through. Changed lives also result in joy and thankfulness. 11 and following. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. Changed lives result in joy and thankfulness. I think this is a great prescription for all of us, wherever you're at, to cultivate joy and thankfulness is a great, great thing. I think about my, my R&R group that I'm in on Monday mornings. It's a tough, it's a tough, it's tough to kind of even sell myself on it on Sunday night when it's been a long day and I'm tired and the NBA playoffs are on. But I know that if I go to this R&R group at 6 a.m., it's going to be the best start to my week. It's at Starbucks, Temperance in 168. There's a few of us that meet. Pastor Brian leads another one on Thursdays. But I'll tell you what, what I try to do with this R&R group is we go through the Scripture and we journal. Part of what I do with my journal is I write out what I'm thankful for and what God is helping me find joy in. And I actually, I actually write out a prayer. I always write out a prayer that's a prayer of thankfulness. And when you kind of recenter your day, that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If you can find something to be thankful for, that's, that's good ground for the Spirit to work in your heart. So I, that's one thing I really appreciate about, about that. Not to mention being in an R&R group, which is basically a small group that meets to read the Bible together, share how God's speaking you through it, and then pray for each other and then go to work or whatever you have going on that day. It's just a great way to grow in your faith as you, you're encouraged when you notice other people being encouraged. And that makes you even more thankful. So great operation in being thankful is, is spending some time just getting in the scripture with someone on a weekly basis. Another way to do it is through serving. All of you are so phenomenal at serving in ministry in a variety of ways throughout the year. That's a great way to cultivate thankfulness in our lives. The final point is the main point that we've been talking about. God has rescued us. Back to verses 13 and 14 before we close. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So we all need to be rescued at some point in our lives from this kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus saves us and He helps us to bear good fruit, to experience spiritual growth, to experience strength, endurance, patience, joy, and thankfulness. The gospel is for you and the gospel is for me. The promise of the gospel is that our standing with God is received It's not achieved. It's received. It's not achieved. It's a gift of God's 
great grace, but we might, we must receive it. And that might be you here today. You might be in a position where you're hearing about this great gift, but you need to receive it. Religion says do something, and the gospel says Jesus has done it already. He's paid for your sin, and He's offering the gift of eternal life. For those of us who've already placed our faith in Christ, I think sometimes we can lose our joy and our awe of the gospel. And we, can, we need to continually think and meditate on the gospel message every day. It's that healing balm in our life. Every day, long after you first put your faith in Christ, is to realize that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. As much as you mess up, it's been paid for. God's Spirit wants to work in your life. God wants to empower you to love other people so that they can see the good news of the Gospel. So the Gospel should continue to transform us and bring us joy every day. Let's close as we pray this morning. Father, we thank You that You have put into motion a rescue plan for each of us. That You sent Your Son. That He paid the penalty for our sins. That He's giving us this free gift, this invitation that we just have to receive and then be empowered by Him. Thank You that we don't have to earn it. Thank You that it's a gift. So Lord, open our hearts to us, to, to You today if that's, if that's why we're here today, Lord, to receive that free gift. Open our hearts to You. And for the rest of us, empower us, Lord, by Your Spirit to live out this great love that we've experienced that it will just pour out of our lives so many can come to find salvation and joy in You. We pray these things in Your mighty name. Amen.